Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And I'm, I'm really pleasantly pleased to see so many folks here today. It's good to see you. I know we're off a, a, a bit, but that's okay. Um, you know, we always are careful about deciding not to have church because we want to have church when we can. And uh, sometimes we, we feel like it's not safe. Usually that's the reason we do it. If, if we can't, Barbara will always get the building ready, almost, always. But if, if some people just take too many chances, so that's usually why we call it off. But we, we felt like this was a good call today. It's good to see all of you. Brother Tim Nelson, my, we love Tim. We're so glad. Pastor Penal Church, I'm really glad to see you today. You and your wife, Alpha Ray, it's good having you. Um, I feel that I should just talk to you a minute about how things are. Um, you know, we're, we're doing good. It's been a tumultuous four weeks in our family, in our home, since Debbie lost her son and my stepson. I'm, I'm your pastor, but far more importantly, you're our church, not in a sense of possession or ownership. We don't own the church, but we are members of this church. We, we need you, and you've been there for us. Uh, we love you for the way that you've always treated us, but certainly in these last four weeks. You've ministered to us in countless ways and continue to do so in your prayers and your concern and in all the ways that you do. If, if we seem a little confused about something, you say, well, can we do anything? And we say, we don't know. It's because we don't know. We really are wrestling with things that we've never dealt with. And I think, in a sense, we're just overwhelmed by what's happened, frankly, with you. The shock and grief are turning to the reality of dealing with the loss of a loved one that everybody here is familiar with. And, uh, and we're still dealing with the shock and the grief. We, we feel a lot of things. Uh, guilt, we feel loss, we feel sorrow. We even, there's twinges of anger. Our grief will go on for a long time. We know that. We, we lost a son, which was hard enough, but we lost a son who took his life. And uh, that makes it a little different. We think, and I just want to tell you, that we think that Matthew's death came at the end of a long struggle with depression that he'd had for a long time, for many years. He was loved dearly by his family, and he knew that. He loved his family, and we knew that. He had a circle of friends around him that loved him and a group of young men especially and as we've come to know in these weeks a group of young women who just adored him and I think there are dozens of people hundred people or more that would have moved heaven and earth if he would have just asked them so we think that his death came at a low point in this depression and overcome by circumstances perhaps it's amazing that an illness can take your desire to live when you're healthy. He'd shared his faith with Christ with me at my request. He didn't like to talk about it, but he had done that. So that's something that we rejoice with. And that's something I really encourage you to have those conversations in your home and to have them with your family and to make sure that your folks that you love and care for, the people that you are around tell you that um, I assure you, that is 
a huge source of comfort to us today. I won't grieve in public for a long time, but it's impossible for me to stand in front of you and not share my heart about this at this moment. Many of you have lost, you all, we all have lost. Many many of you are going through the process of grief now. And uh, for, for me, I find that grief makes me slower. I, I told Debbie, I did something in my office the other day that was taking about 30 minutes. It took me two or three hours. I'm less focused. I'm less patient. Debbie, I think, is just overwhelmed and uh, heartbroken. So we know what the Bible says. And A.J. often says this is at a funeral. And, and, and I never take it for granted. I, I never take this for granted whenever I hear it. But he quotes Paul in First Thessalonians. He says, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those with no hope. Because we do have hope. And uh, we have hope that, that his suffering ended. We have hope of seeing him again in eternity in heaven. We have hope of our victory over death. It's not a hope, it's a promise. It's what God has assured us. And so today, that's what I get to talk to you about. And tell you that. I've said many times in this pulpit, next door, and any chance I have, that the most important person in your life is Christ. He is the most important person. He's, even today in the Super Bowl, he's more important. And I know a lot of people think the world's revolving around the Super Bowl, but I will tell you, it'll be over tonight about 9 o'clock and we'll forget all about it. I couldn't even tell you who played last year. Some of y'all probably know. I don't know. It's pretty good that I know who plays this year. <laughs> I'm, I'm pleased with that. But your family's not more important. Your job isn't more important. Your possessions and your assets and your abilities aren't more important. Christ is most important in your life. You've got to know that. Because in times like this, he's all you got. Well, we have a great church, and we're thankful for you. I don't know what people do without a church. I really don't. I don't know how people endure a loss like this alone. So uh, we, we really appreciate it. Today, our outline's pretty simple. Obey Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will come into your life. Jesus repeats that. I've tried. AJ, I've looked at this, been looking at it. I haven't preached for, I didn't preach last week. We were... In Jacksonville, and I, I, I kept looking at this passage, and I said, well, it's such a simple outline. There's such, there's two themes here. Obey Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will live in your life. Obey Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will live in your life. Let's look at this very, very, very important, vitally important passage. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, if you don't have your Bible, there's one in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. That Bible is for you. If you have 10 Bibles, then leave it, and we'll use it every Sunday, but if you have if you need one, take it. Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before he was to die. He was preparing them for death. You are getting his last words to his, his, the, the men that were closest to him on earth. The people that he spent his time with, that he invested his life in. If you realize what Jesus did is he invested his life in 12 men. By the way, one of them failed him. So don't be so discouraged when people fail us. 
One of them failed Jesus. He had invested his life in these men. They were heartbroken. He gathered them around in the upper room in the final Passover meal. And in John's gospel, we get this picture of the lessons that he taught them and what he said to them. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. He said, your heart must not be troubled. And he knew their hearts were troubled. He knew they would grieve, that they would have questions without answers. But he said, don't let your heart be troubled. He said he's going to prepare a place for them. And in his father's house were many rooms. In his, the, I want you to picture this. In the back of God's home in heaven, that's the way Jesus pictured the home in heaven. John describes it in great majestic glory. But Jesus said, it's a home where the father lives. And he has building for us homes in heaven, rooms to live in. That's what he's doing. It's very personal. He loves us. It's like, it's like the father is bringing his children to live with him. That's the picture Jesus gives us. It's a lot of comfort there. He tells us that peace should flow into our life in ways that the world doesn't have. And today he gives us even more instruction, very specific instruction. Let me read. I'm going to read to you verses 15 through 26. If you love me, Jesus said, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. In a little while, while the earth will no longer see me, while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I'm in my Father. You are in me. And I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. Father, thank you for your word. Speak clearly to us today through it. And through your spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, four, four or five points maybe, but the fifth one is kind of small. But The first thing is really simple. I mean, anybody could pull this out. Verse 15, if you love him, you will obey him. That's what Jesus said. If you love him, you'll obey him. When I got married to my wife, she said to me, well, in so many words, I guess she said to me, I think we probably had this conversation. Men, you've probably had this conversation with your wife. I expect you to be faithful to me. I think a, a wife, I mean, we husbands expect our wives to be faithful, but, but wives expect their husbands to be faithful. They want, we, they want us to be faithful to them. Not faithful as I see it. Not faithful with a few indiscretions. Not faithful as much as I'm able, but our wives expect us to be faithful to them completely, entirely. Jesus said, 
in the similar way that he expects us that if we love him, we will obey him. That is a sign, an indication of our love for Christ. There are a lot of Christians, if I, if, and I won't do this, I've, I've seen preachers do this. Everybody that loves Jesus, raise their hand. All of our hands go up, I'm not asking you to do that. And then the follow-on question, everybody that obeys Jesus, raise your hand. And then everybody kind of looks around like, I don't think I better do that. Jesus said, he taught obedience. He taught, he taught our, our willingness to do what he said with how much he loved him. It's not a mechanical thing. It's, it's, not, it's not something we've done out of a rote. But it's, but it's an important aspect of following Jesus. Not the first time it came up. In Luke chapter, uh, in chapter 6, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? That's a great question. Why would you call Jesus Lord and don't listen to him? Why, why would you call Jesus Lord and never even know what's in his word? Never even read his word. I'm going I'm to read some of things in his word that he tells us, that he commands us and teaches us. It's not, it's not moral instruction. Not all of it's moral instruction. A lot of it is, is the kind of stuff that we cling to right now in our home. The kind of things that mean so much to us. You, we need to be students of this word. We, we need to know about it. And, and Jesus said over in 1 John, you, you, know, you know about 1 John. He says, in 1 John chapter 2, he says, this is how we know that we, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. It's how you know that you know him. And, and one of the questions that, as a pastor, and I'm, Tim, I'm sure you do, AJ, I'm sure you do, I'm sure you who, who talk to people about your faith, one of, one of the things people always say, how, how can I know if I'm saved? Well, one of the ways you know if you're saved is if you keep his commandments. That's one of the ways you know. And it's not just as simple of obeying the rules, and I'm going to talk to you about that. I don't want you to get caught up in that. And, and you know, that this means to obey what he said, not obey what we want or what we like or what we're comfortable with, but, but, but to obey it. And so I thought this week, I said, what are some things, what does obedience look like? Now, frankly, I may not get all the way through my sermon. I'm okay. I mean, uh, if I get to this today, I'm good. If I get to point one, I'll be okay. I might get a little further, but don't get worried that we're just going on and on and on with number one, and you're thinking, oh boy, he's got five points. We're going to be here all day. I'm not. I'll I'll, I'll be respectful of that. That's right. Preach on. But but let me tell you what obedience looks like. I, I think you have to know and read his word. I don't think you can be obedient to Christ without knowing and, and, and reading his words. You can't do it. I mean, I can't do it. I, I don't know of any believer that is faithful to the gospel, faithful to Christ, that does what Jesus calls us to do, that doesn't know what's in this book and read it. Now, now I would fail that test about knowing what's in the book. I don't know everything that's in the book. I, I read this book and I study this book and I'm, I'm in this book and I'm interested in this book and it, the Bible draws me. One of the things that I found that when I, when, 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 when Christ really started working in my life is he made me love this book. And, and you know, that's really appropriate because this is his word. It's, it's what he gave us. And so he put in me a desire to learn about it, to read it. Now, my Old Testament professor, there was a couple tests that he probably didn't think I loved it, right? 
but but I study this book. I love to get in it. And I think I don't think you can love Christ and not know the Bible, not not be a student of the Bible. If, if you don't know what it says, uh, obedience is loving and treasuring the word of God. We spent six months, 22 sermons in Psalm 119. I don't know if you remember that. I, I remember that. I remember going through each section, 22 sections, Psalm 119, spent one Sunday on each section. And you know that, that Psalm, that great long, longest Psalm in the whole Bible, the longest chapter in the whole Bible, it has a few themes and one of them is obedience to the word of God. And one of them is obedience to the word of God in the midst of trouble. If you are in a time of affliction or difficulty, you ought to go to Psalm 119. I'm going to pull some verses out. I just happened to have done that for you today. And I want to share some of them with you just to tell you how it's important. This is the counsel that's in God's word that you and I ought to know. Listen to Psalm 119 verse 33. I have chosen the way of truth. The writer of the Psalm says, I have set your ordinances before me. In other words, he has chosen God's truth and set the word of God before him. You know, we talked about that. How you do that? How do you set the word before you? You set the word in front of you that, that you're, it's there. When you get up in the morning, that's where you go. When you have a time of decision, that's where you go. When you have a time of grief and loss, that's where you go. I've set those ordinances before me. Psalm 119, verse 30. Psalm 119, verse 71. Listen to this one. Boy, this resonates in my house. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn from your statutes. Instruction from your lips is better than thousands of gold and silver pieces. How about that? The psalmist says it's good to be afflicted. I can tell you it's not good to be afflicted. Every one of you know it is not good to be afflicted. But the the writer of the psalm says that the value of God's word is so powerful and so significant that it was good for me to be afflicted so I could learn your statutes. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That's powerful. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey me. Because you're going to know this. You're going to apply this. This is, this is life changing. If you know it was good for me to be afflicted. And, and the instruction from the Bible is more valuable than any wealth. You know, right now here today, if, if they gave all of us a choice, and in a sense, God does, but if we had a choice between choosing great riches or choosing knowledge and wisdom from the word of God, most people would choose riches. But I believe one second into eternity, we would choose God's word and knowledge and wisdom. We would know that's far more valuable. We will know that's treasure that doesn't perish. It's something that lasts. It's really important. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 92. If your instruction had not been my delight, I would have died in my affliction. So here he had an affliction so severe that without God's instruction, he would have died. I will never forget your precepts for you've given me life through them. Church, that's something you ought to know. That, that you, ought to, you ought to appreciate the value of that. You ought to let that weigh in on us in times of loss and grief. If there is a value in affliction, people always say, well, I don't don't know why this happened. We don't understand the reason for that. Well, I don't understand the reasons, and I don't want to trivialize the reasons, but I will tell you that personally in the life of a believer, if you are a believer and you go through affliction inside the word of God, you will benefit in the long run from that affliction. It will never replace the person that's lost. It'll never be worth the tragedy or the loss or the sorrow. But you will gain value that will go far beyond this life. Far beyond this, this, this incident. And here he said, if your instruction not been my delight, I would have died. 
in my affliction. So there's comfort in the word of God. Listen to this. How sweet your word is to my taste. Sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. So the more the psalmist learned, the more he hated the false ways. One of the things that we talked about in Jacksonville last week is a immersion of the culture in the church. And the church gets inside the church. The culture gets inside the church. Used to be the you know what I'm saying. Used to be the church got out into the culture. Now the culture gets into the church. Well, you know how you prevent that? Is the church stays grounded, focused, intent on the word of God. And we don't vary one bit. The writer Hebrew said, just keep your eyes on Jesus. We don't care what's happening in the world. We don't care what they say. We're not worried about that. We're, the world is not our delight. But you learn that in the word of God. You don't learn that in the world. You pick up the paper and you say, well, I, you know, the Bible's obsolete. The Bible's just a book of history. The Bible's written by a bunch of men. But when you get inside the word of God and you get guided by the Holy Spirit, we hadn't got the Holy Spirit yet. We're going to get there. We hadn't got the Him. But when we start doing that, then our lives are changed by the word. And we're strengthened for the culture. And then, of course, Psalm 119, 105, you all know this. The word is a lamp to my feet. A light for my path. It implies that we're walking in a dark world. You need a light and a lamp. You need something to illuminate your path. Show you the way. That's what the word of God does. If you're not involved in the word of God, if you get up every morning, you go about your life and you make decisions, go to school, you do things, you decide what college to go to, decide what career to take, decide what house to buy, decide I had to buy a car, decide what car to buy. You know, every decision we have ought to be guided by God. Everything that we do, he ought, he ought to be involved in it. He ought to be a part of that. He ought, he, ought to be, he ought to be helping us with those decisions. And we're going to learn that. He, he sent us a helper. He didn't leave us as orphans. The word's a lamp for my feet, the light to my path. Psalm 129, your decrees are wondrous, therefore I obey them. The revelation of your word brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. Um, I don't know who who thinks, if I said, who's inexperienced and who's experienced, we'd probably get smattering of hands. I, some things I would raise my hands experienced. Yeah, I've been through that one, got a t-shirt for it. Some things I'm really inexperienced in. Therefore, I should be in the word of God all the time, preparing me for the things that I think I know about and I don't, and preparing me for the things that I absolutely don't know about. That's good counsel. The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. The entirety of your word. That's the problem we have in our culture. That's the problem a lot of churches have. They're good with 75% of the word. I mean, they, yeah, they like to love one another. Everybody forgive each other. They start having a hard time when, when the, when the church, when the, when the word of God defines marriage, for example. The culture has a hard time with that. Or when, or when we define forgiveness for people that have wronged us, we, we say, well, I, I can't really forgive people because they've really hurt me and God understands that. No, no, the, the entirety of the word is truth. Not the part that we like, not the part that we know, not the part that we agree with, but the entirety of it. And so what I find as, as a measure of Christian maturity, I found as I grow in Christ is that I don't change because of the world. I change because of the word. That the culture 
has less of an effect on me and the word has more of an effect. That's, that's what we need to have. And I'm not perfect. And if you live with me, my wife is here next door in the fellowship hall. She would say, she's probably sitting there saying, yeah, I live with you every day. I know, I know how much, how imperfect you are. But God's, God's got work to do in my life. And he does that work through the word. Through time that I, that I spend and at the time that, that I pray and at the time of you. So, so we have to know, we have to love and treasure the word. You can't be obedient to Christ and not treasure the word of God. You cannot do it. Our Bibles ought to be worn out. They ought to be marked up, written up, ripped out, covers falling off. That means you're, well, unless you're just faking it, you're, you're spending some time in it. And that's the way we need to live. Not only, not only do we know the word, but Jesus gave us an insight. In Matthew chapter 28, he said to us that in the Great Commission, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. You, you know, there, that everything jumps off the page at me. Like, like again, I'm a good 75, 80% guy. I can go right there. But it's that 20%, it's the everything that changes us from a casual follower of Christ to a committed follower. To, to, to not really knowing if we have our salvation to be planted firmly and, and know that God has got a purpose and a direction and a reason for our life. It's that everything. And, and I, I don't obey everything. Please don't think that, that I'm telling you that. But that's what Jesus said. He said, we have to teach people to obey everything that I've commanded. Not just the part I like. See, there's a lot of stuff that I'm real good with. But a lot of this is hard for me. Jesus said, that's the part we've got to do to obey him. If you love me, you'll obey me. And so, so what, you know, and I, and I love you as a church. And my job as a church is, is to tell you what's in the word of God. And that, that's what we endeavor to do. I, I don't have a lot of opinion. I, I, I gave you two or three minutes of thoughts about what's going on in our family, and our home. That's probably as much opinion as you'll ever hear from me. Because I don't have much of an opinion, really. I don't have an opinion you care much about. I mean, really. We might have a conversation about history or about world affairs, and that's all good, but it doesn't matter. But I will tell you, what is valuable is what comes out of the Word of God. And here, here's what I think. Here, here's the way I think it needs to translate. So it, it's, it's the same way that if you had a child, you, my son told me this week, he said, I, I only remember you spanking me one time. And I, and I said, do you know why? And he said, I crossed the road when you told me not to. He did. About three years old, he, I told him not to cross the road. He turned right around and crossed the road. He got a whipping. He remembered that. I considered that a life and death thing. I told him, I said, this is really serious stuff. You know, if I, if I know really serious stuff and don't tell you, I don't love you. And, and there's some really serious stuff in the Bible we got to listen to. L- listen to some things that I think. This is, these are areas of loving Jesus and not obeying him. Or obeying Jesus and loving him. Attendance in church. You know, Hebrews chapter 10 says for us not to stay away as some, as some do. And you know, I encourage you, we, we kind of get in, part of our culture is that we come to church whenever we want to. We, we just, we come when it's convenient. When there's nothing else to do, we come to church. I understand that. I know you are bombarded by things to do. 
But I will tell you that we need to be in the fellowship of God's church. We need to be here. We need to be here to worship. Oh my goodness, what did people miss by that worship this morning? We need to be here to hear the word. We need to be here to be fellowship with each other, to be in communion. That's, that is the church. This church isn't some made up organization that we have. It is Christ church. It will exist until he comes back. He has assured us of that. We should be here. We should make a commitment to it. Now, maybe you can't be at this church. Maybe you don't like me as a preacher. Maybe you don't like AJ leading the music. You ought to be in church. And you shouldn't say, well, I got mad at that preacher and I'm not coming back ever. That has not been obedient to what God says. And I don't think, I, th- I think we ought to be faithful to our church. I think we ought to, it's, it's God's instrument in the world. It's not perfect. Oh my goodness, I can tell you it's not perfect. Your preacher isn't perfect. Your deacons aren't perfect, though. They're some godly men. But it's God's church. We ought to be here. Forgiveness. Christians ought to be known for how we forgive each other. That's what Jesus said. He said, he said, you, you should forgive people not a little bit, but a lot. You should give, forgive beyond the offense. But yet a lot of Christians think they can harbor and hold resentment and can do all of these things. They, they just can't do it. They just can't do it. We gotta have obedience. And you know, you know where I learned that? I learned that right here. I learned that. I learned that with some preacher pressing in on me and telling me what God's word said that my, my spirit, my, my flesh, as you call it, my sinful self that Paul said he warred against all the time. So I can admit to you that I war against a sinful fleshly spirit as well. Just, and you probably do as well. But when I heard that, it's convicted me that a church has to be a place of forgiveness. If you want to be forgiven, you ought to be able to walk into the door of a church and feel forgiven to be obedient to Christ. A church is not forgiven. People is not being obedient to what Jesus said. Our tongue... Wow. Just listen to an agreement. Listen to disagreements. I'm saying listen to disagreements in church. See, I don't, I don't listen to a lot of disagreements anywhere else because I'm not around. I mean, I, I'm around other church people, I, non-church people. I try to make it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to make more of an effort to be around non-church people. I'm gonna try to make a bunch of friends with people that aren't in church. You ought to do that. You ought to get to know people that aren't Christians. But if you want to hear disagreements, just come to church. But a church ought to be a place of harmony and, and unity and, 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 and love for each other above all the other things that we do. That's, that's what it means to obey. James said, you gotta watch your tongue. You gotta watch what you say. Sometimes, you know, I've, I, this is one of my favorite. Learned it in church terms. I got it off my chest. I feel better. James says, the tongue comes right out of the heart. And what comes out of the tongue? is reflected inside our heart. Christians can't be obedient to Christ and just say whatever they want to say. Can't do it. Our homes. Fathers are called to be the spiritual leaders of their homes. That's what the Bible says. The Bible laid out a plan for the family. Whenever I talk to a young couple about getting married, we talk about God's plan for the family. The father is the head of the home as Christ is head of the church. Jesus said, or Paul said, you ought to be able to look at a Christian marriage and see exactly the relationship of Christ in the church. 
That's the way he told that in Ephesians chapter 5. He told that to, to illustrate. Unfortunately, if people look at many marriages, even many Christian marriages, they will not get an impression of what Christ and the church, the relationship ought to be. Our, our homes, our marriages, men, men, we are spiritual leaders. We should, we should lead our wives. We should lead our children. That's obedience. See, I'm just naming a few things. I didn't got off my first point. I'm just naming a few things. Our marriages. While we're on the subject of marriage, marriage has not been redefined by God. I can't do it. You can't do it. Society can't do it. There's no new marriage. When we obey the word of God, it means that we have a biblical worldview. It means we're saying we trust Jesus more than we trust the teaching and the instruction of our culture. That's what we mean. When we obey when, when, you're, when you say, I'm going to set aside some of the things in my life because Jesus told me to do that, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for him. See, we're going to get to it. Maybe not today, but we're going to get to how we do that. It's not just a simple matter of discipline, mind over matter. It's not that. You see, God calls us to obey him, gives us his word, but he also gives us the power to do it. And that's, that's the part we've got to get to. Brother Tim, I would love for you to preach the second point for me because I know you would do a great job of this. I'm probably not going to get much to it. <laughs> James says, the friendship of the world is hostility to God. If, if, you, if your values and your culture is coming from the world, you're not living in the right relationship with God. That's a, I don't know if that's been true 50 years ago. I think it probably was. We just didn't know it. It's certainly true today. You have to... Jesus said obedience is tied closely, tied closely to how much we love him. I'm going to start. Number two, he's going to send us a helper. You know, Jesus said that in here. He, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my, my commands. And then he, he does it with a conjunction and he says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So Jesus is not setting us out there by himself he's not saying i want you to obey me i want you to follow all these laws i want you to learn everything in this book and i want you to do it i remember when i went to the artillery school they tried to scare everybody to death think as we were all stupid and we were all going to fail we probably were stupid but we aren't weren't all going to fail and they said they actually said, my first class, they took us out one day and they showed us an artillery piece and they said, the bullet goes out this end. <laughs> said, that's your first lesson. Remember that one. And they gave, us, they gave us all these books and they said, you have to learn everything in these books in order to be successful. I thought, well, how did anybody ever make it through this? <laughs> and then we learned, no, you don't have to learn all that. You have to learn what they told you to learn. And you have to learn the things that are important to learn. And, and so if I stand in front of you today and I say, well, Jim, you got, or, or church, you got, the preacher came out and said, we got to learn everything in the Bible. I'm, I'm lost. But Jesus said, if you love me, you can obey me and I will ask the father and he will send you another counselor to be with you forever. He will send you somebody. Do you know the Greek word? I'm not a Greek scholar, but there's two words for another in Greek. One of them means another that is different. And one means another that is the same. Um, for example, if I told you that I was going to have an ice cream today, and my ice cream is chocolate. But tomorrow I'm going to have an ice cream, but my ice cream 
I'm going to have another ice cream, but it's going to be vanilla. The word would be different. It would, it would be heteros. Different. It's different. So it's the same. It's ice cream, but it's a different kind of ice cream. But if I gave, if I said to you, I'm going to have ice cream today and it's chocolate, and I'm going to have another ice cream tomorrow, that's the same. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to send you another counselor. Just like me. Just like me. It's going to be a counselor. It's going to be like I am. That's who you're going to have to advise you. So you don't have to be intimidated by this book. You, you don't have to, you don't have to say, well, I, I can't understand it. Because if you are a believer, Christ has sent a counselor, an advisor, a teacher, the accurate, the, the literal interpretation means one to come along and help you. That's, that's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is not a thing. It's, it's not some esoteric force that we can't understand or deal with. The Bible talks a lot about it. The, the Holy Spirit is not impersonal. It has the attributes of a person. It thinks, it teaches, it instructs, it can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is God himself that lives in you. If you are a believer, you have God in himself to live inside you. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Because he would send them a counselor like himself to live with them forever. How about that church? Isn't that great stuff? Isn't that great? And so now obeying Jesus is not difficult at all. It is a matter of listening to the Holy Spirit. It is a matter of obeying God who lives inside you. That's what that is. That's what it means. He didn't want to leave us on our own to obey him. He knew Jesus of all people knows who we are. He knows how weak and frail we are. He knows that our hearts are willing, but we just can't do it. And so he sent us a guidance. And you say, Jim, I don't really feel the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I don't really, I don't really feel like I'm the, I have any of the Holy Spirit in me. That's because you don't listen to him. When you submit to him, you obey him and, and you start you start doing the things that he's called on, read his word, spend time in prayer, the Holy Spirit will start guiding your life. Will start speaking to you. Some some of the most profound things in, in worship have come to me in the worship in my own home. In, in a little quiet place, turn the music on, get away from everybody, sit down with the word of God, turn on the music, and God can speak powerfully to you through his word. You're not hearing some vision off the wall. You're hearing through the word of God. The Holy Spirit instructs you. You know clearly. When you're about to sin, the Holy Spirit lets you know right off that is not something you should do. You'll know that. If you're a believer, and, and I'll tell you, that, that sense, we call it a conscience. Everybody likes to call it a conscience. Just call it what it is. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's the Holy Spirit guiding you, directing you, keeping you out of trouble. Jesus said, I, if you love me and obey me, I will send you the Spirit. When we become believers, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. That's a wonderful thing. If any... Jesus said this is a, a relationship when he lives in us. We, we, it's not that we become God, but he describes it in several ways. In the next chapter that AJ and I are gonna, we're gonna split and each of us do part of it. Jesus is the vine and the believers are the branches. So, so if you're a branch, you have to be connected to the vine, right? Everybody knows you cut, you cut the branch off from the vine, the vine dies or the branch dies. 
You have to be connected. That's, that's part of, that's part of the relationship between us and the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. The Bible also teaches that Jesus is the head and we're the body. You know, you can't have a body without a head. Won't work. Doesn't, doesn't operate. A lot of Christians are, are kind of a body without a head. They have no guidance, no input, no, no support, no, it's no wonder people get discouraged in times of loss and grief. They're not connected to the vine, to the branch, to the vine. We're the branch. We've got to be connected to the vine. When you're connected to the vine, you have the power of God. Living in you, advising you, teaching you, admonishing you, warning you, encouraging you, loving you. In fact, in Romans 8, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, it tells us that when we don't know what to pray, what does the Spirit do? It intercedes in our behalf. You don't even have to, you don't even have to know how to pray. You don't even have to know what to ask for, church. That's, that's how effective a counselor he's given us. When, and, and he'll, he'll intercede to us with groanings that nobody can understand. Because who is the Holy Spirit? It's God. It's God speaking to God on your behalf. Don't you want that? Don't we need that desperately? That's what he's telling us. He lives in us. I'm going to tell you. I like I like this last part. I'm going to close here, right here. I'm going to quit. Two points. Leaving three on the table. And I will ask the Father, he'll send you another counselor to be with you forever. From the moment you're a believer, Forever. You, you know, we, 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 we see death as a separation. Oh, it's a terrible separation. But Christ stays in the believer from the time they're a believer through eternity. Isn't that great? Until we dwell with him physically in heaven. See, death doesn't separate us. Paul said that. You remember that in Romans 8? Paul said death. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. There's not anything. He named all the things that could possibly do it. He named famine and persecution and nakedness and peril and sword and things in the present and things in the past and things above and things below. And even death, nothing separates us from the love of Christ. That's because the love of God lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. That's great stuff. That's the reason to come to church right there. You ought to tell all your folks you should have been there and heard that. You ought to invite somebody to come and hear it. But I'll tell you, Jesus is not speaking this so that we can have 64 sermons in the book of John. He's teaching this so that our lives can be changed profoundly by his word. That's why he does it. Death doesn't separate you. He will never leave you. You'll never be abandoned. You'll never be alone. Charles Stanley preached on loneliness today. He said, with God in your heart, you'll never be alone. You may feel lonely. You may feel abandoned because the devil's working against you. But you have God living in you. So I, I, I'm going I'm to wrap it up. I'm going to tell you that if you don't have Christ in your life, you're on your own. You are on your own. You face every trial. You face every tribulation. You face every tragedy. You face them alone. If you, if you have Christ in your life, you have God living in you. And so our job is to obey him and to listen to him. Our, our, job, our job is to grow the Holy Spirit inside of us, to encourage him, to be obedient, to be knowledgeable, to, to be communicating with him. You have to be obedient. Jesus said, he says that throughout this, you just, you just have to obey me. You have to do it. 
That's my prayer for you. If you don't know Christ, get to know him. Say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you, I want your spirit in my life. I need it desperately. Maybe you're estranged from the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible teaches we can grieve him. We can turn him off. We can ignore him. We can shut him off. I've seen, I've seen the joy in believers when, when they come back to Christ and they, they, they start listening to the Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't think the Spirit goes anywhere. But God will respect your choice. If you want to live your life on your own, He'll let you do it. He'll let you sin. Oh, He'll let you sin, but He, He's going to make you miserable doing it. <laughs> and He'll draw you back. He'll bring you back. That's what Jesus said that none of the people father gives to me i will ever lose ever it's because of the holy spirit let's pray father thank you for your word pour it on our hearts in ways that i can't express you know the needs of each person here what needs to be done what needs to be said lord i pray you'll work in them i thank you lord that you've given us your word the clarity the simplicity that 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 you have provided for us And with your spirit, as you always do, we teach each of us the lessons we need. Whether we're here in a time of joy or here in a time of loss, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.